0: It connects what went before with what is now about to be addressed. You can't just walk around and say, therefore. It's odd. It's irrational. It's a connective. And yet it's the first word at the beginning of a chapter. So that's an odd way for Peter to begin the beginning of the chapter. So let me mention something to you. Are you aware of the fact that the chapter and verse divisions in the Bible are not inspired by God. They were done by a human several hundred years ago, and we ought to be grateful to God for it because it facilitates our handling of the Scripture. For instance, it wasn't very difficult at all for us to begin at the same place today. I merely said, would you locate 1 Peter chapter 2? If it wasn't for the chapter division, we'd be wandering around. We know somewhere it's in the New Testament. So we're grateful for the chapter and verse divisions, but don't be bound to them. What I mean by that is the fact that chapter 2 begins with therefore does not keep us from going back to chapter 1 to see what the therefore is there for. That's kind of cute. Have you heard that before? Yeah, okay, well, you heard it here. Thank you. So let's do that. Would you glance over Chapter 1 briefly and just share with the class what's said there? What do you see that might be the explanation for the word therefore in Chapter 2? What has preceded it that's connected Perhaps to it. What's in chapter 1? Yes ma'am. The Lord endureth forever. forever? Absolutely. The eternality of almighty God. Thank you so much. What else? Don't be afraid. Yes. Excellent. We have been chosen. Unto obedience for an inheritance. In so many words, that's describing salvation. Chapter 1 spoke about salvation. Chosen for salvation. The implications being eternal. It's an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. Yes. See, that's very good. We have been born again. Another reference to new life in Christ and because of Christ, born again, a new relationship with the heavenly Father. Chapter one mentioned that. Or right. yes, ma'am. Grace and peace, yours in abundance. Yes, uh, uh, that's a theme: grace, and not only that, because of grace, peace, right. and may you have it not just in meager supply, but in abundance. So chapter 1 spoke to us, did it not, of what we have in Christ. It spoke to us about what's new. So here's the point. In light of the fact you've been chosen, in light of the fact that God has bequeathed to you grace and peace, in light of the fact that you have an inheritance of an eternal quality, In light of the fact that you've been born anew into an entirely new relationship with the creator, with the giver of life. In light of all of this, therefore, do something. Now we'll get to the something in just a second, but can you see the connective there? It's not possible to be newly related to God and there not be an Evident, noticeable difference in your life. Do you agree? It's not possible to be born anew, chosen, all the rest, and you be the same. And one of the key ways in which the authenticity of your new relationship and mine with the Heavenly Father is evidenced is how we relate to one another. Hence, Peter says, therefore, in light of salvation, putting aside all these things. Those are all the things we might be prone to do with reference to others. We might be prone to be malicious. We might be prone to be filled with guile. That's deception. We might be prone to be hypocritical. That's to be inconsistent. We might be prone to envy what others have. We might be prone to slander, sin of the tongue put down somebody else in order to elevate our own position. So here's what Peter is essentially saying. The proof of the newness of your relationship with God is that you will do human relationships in a new way. If you continue relating to others in the same way you always have, there's reason to believe God has not wrought a salvation change in your life. So the proving ground for the authenticity of our new relationship with God ought to be a new way of conducting ourselves with reference to one another. It is not possible to say our father, but to mistreat other of God's kids maliciously, hypocritically, enviously, with deception, and slanderously now that doesn't mean we don't do inappropriate things once in a while I'm talking about patterns of human behavior if they're not being changed there's reason to believe good reason to believe there hasn't been change in the way we relate to almighty God how could it be that we would be born anew A temple of God's very spirit and mind and it not show forth in the way we conduct ourselves with one another. So the legitimacy, the authenticity of the vertical relationship is manifested in horizontal relationships. It is not possible to honor Christ, while at the same time dishonoring other Christians. It's not possible. In fact, it dishonors Christ when we do not respond appropriately to other Christians, because he saved them too. Our Father. It's a collective community. We're saved out of the world and into a new body. So. The therefore is very, very key and very, very important. Peter is not saying stop being malicious, stop being filled with guile, stop being hypocritical, stop being envious, and stop being slanderous in order to be saved. No. He's saying, chapter 1, you have been saved. Chapter 2, therefore, live differently. Can you see the difference? If chapter 2 preceded chapter 1, then we would be talking about working our way to salvation. If chapter 1 began with this exhortation, stop being these things, then the implication would be that we could save ourselves simply by living better. Can you see the importance of chapter 1 preceding chapter 2? Could I tell you something? If it didn't happen this way, we'd be in a heap of trouble, because I don't think we can stop doing these things in our own strength. These come naturally, don't they? But if you had the supernatural experience of being saved. Salvation is supernatural. It overcomes your nature. And God comes upon you. In you. <laughs> if you've had that experience. It ought to show. Therefore. Live differently. So, so far. Are you with me? Yes, sir. The vertical. Has to be. Evidenced. Through the horizontal, how we conduct it. So the person who says, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't want anything to do with other Christians. I, I, that person can be a Christian, but it is not what that person's Messiah, what that person's Christ would have. He wants us to relate to one another in a proper way. And here are some improper ways. Therefore, in light of the fact that God chose you and saved you and gave you an eternal inheritance, in light of the fact that you've been born again, in light of the fact that you've been justified, hey, 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 spread the wealth of grace and mercy with reference to one another. All right. In fact, like newborn babies, verse 2, it's a metaphor like newborn babies, you're not a newborn baby, you're an adult, but like a newborn, everyone here can relate to a newborn baby. The needs of a newborn baby are nourishment. The newborn baby is not gonna grow and mature without nourishment and the primary source of nourishment for a newborn baby is Milk. milk. So like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. It's a metaphor. The word is not milk, it's like pure milk. Why pure? Folks, when you read the Bible, you can be absolutely at ease, uh, confident, relaxed. You do not have to use a lot of discernment You do not have to judge whether the Bible is trustworthy, reliable, accurate, with or without error. Whether it can be counted on. It's pure milk. There is nothing else. Whatever else you read, you better put your thinking cap on. And you better decide whether it's true or not. But when you read the Bible, you can just in an unbridled fashion enter in it are true. It is without error. It's perfectly internally consistent. It's pure. There's nothing that defiles it. It's the one place where you can go, where you can be totally assured you're on safe and secure ground. When you get your head in the Bible, <laughs> you can be absolutely free of any concern for its authenticity. It's from God. And we ought to long for you know what one of the mark of a marks of a truly reborn person is? A growing hunger for the m- pure milk of the word of God. When a baby is born in a biological sense, nobody teaches the baby to cry for milk. It's innate. It's part of being physically born. You get hungry for pure milk. And part of being spiritually reborn is that there ought to be a newfound hunger (laughs) for the pure milk of the word of God. I must say, the person who says, yes, I'm a Christian, but I have no real interest in the Bible, I don't know. That's like a newborn baby, if he or she could speak, saying, yes, I'm a newborn, but I have no interest in milk. (laughs) It just... And the one hunger which you ought to ask God never to satisfy fully is your hunger for the pure milk of his word. In fact, you ought to say, God, would you increase my appetite for it? Don't let me be so satiated by it that I'm full. I always want to have room for it. So expand my capacity to take it in. So you're doing a wonderful thing today. You're coming to this place in part to take in the pure milk of the word of God. Wonderful. And there are other ways, aren't there? You can read it. Can I encourage you to read it? It's getting to be a lost and dying art, reading words on paper. Everything is electronic and fast. We usually do three things at once now. Nobody just watches the news. Now you watch the news and you got this creeper line on the bottom. And then you got this thing on the side. Could I encourage you to give a try at uh, the simplicity of just reading the Bible? Just open it to any book and read from the beginning of that book of the Bible all the way through. So you can listen to the Word of God, as you're doing today, Uh, you can read it. You know what you could do? You can think about it. That's called meditation, not some crazy kind where you empty your mind. No, no. Biblical meditation is when you fill it with the Word of God. So you just think about it. That's all it is. Reflect on it. Another thing you can do is to memorize it. Can't tell you how helpful that is. If you memorize Scripture, then it's with you at all times. You can study it. for You, you can get into a, a Bible study, this one, a different kind of one. Anyway, there are many ways to take in the Word of God. Uh, anyway, my, my thought is I hope your hunger for it is growing and growing and growing, just like a newborn babe longing for it. Why? So that you may grow in respect to salvation. What does that mean? Well, it surely means growing in an understanding of the implications of your salvation, but I think it means more. When it says growing with respect to salvation, think about this. Things are different for you now. You once lived as an unsaved person. Having been saved, now you're to live as a saved person. When the Bible says grow with respect to your salvation, it means grow in every area of life in keeping with the fact that you're now saved. I remember, for instance, when I was uh, led to the Lord in the military a long time ago. I remember uh, taking in the pure milk of the word of God and finding out that uh, God had a different attitude towards money than I did. I knew about what the surrounding populace told me about money. You work for it. You make use of it for your personal sustenance and enjoyment, for sure. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But then when I read the Bible, I found out what was on God's mind was also sharing it. Well, that was kind of different for me. And then I remember finding out with respect to my salvation that God had a different way for me to relate to people of the opposite gender. I didn't know how to do it properly. How do you know that? And then I found out what God said is if you want to be intimate with someone, it has to be in the context of covenant marriage. One person. That's it. Opposite sex, by the way. Kind of crazy that you even got to say that. But So don't you see God's mind on these things? Totally, totally different. So long for the pure milk of the word of God that you might grow with respect to your salvation, it said. If, verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. If you're saved, you surely have tasted of his kindness. Because you and I would have deserved his judgment, but instead we tasted his kindness. But even after salvation, haven't you as a redeemed person? experienced manifold times the kindness of god have you seen him provide for you protect you guide you lead you sustain you and in such fashion that it was clear to you it came from him that's the kindness of god in fact you even told him i don't deserve this thank you so much for taking care of me though it be undeserved this is the kindness of god so peter is offering the number one motivation for doing the right thing it is not to earn the kindness of god it's because of the kindness of god in fact you see where it says if you have tasted the kindness of the lord the sense is actually since you have tasted the kindness of the lord Peter is saying, since you have tasted God's kindness, since you have, you ought to desire to get closer to him. You ought to have a desire for his word, for his thoughts, for the expression of his heart in the Bible. You ought not fear him. You ought not be reluctant to draw near to him since you've tasted of his kindness. You found out he's not angry with you anymore. There is no hostile relationship. He's not your adversary. He's your Abba Father. Since you have tasted of his kindness, therefore you ought to have a desire for the word of God. I mean, none of us wants to spend time with someone we don't feel comfortable with. None of us want to spend time with somebody uh, who... Well, we wonder, what does that person think of me or that person doesn't like? Well, Peter says, yeah, but you've tasted of the kindness of God. Chapter one, grace, mercy, regeneration, salvation, eternal inheritance, all these things freely given. Since you have tasted of those things, oh, you ought to really, really have an unbridled desire to get to know him more. So the only acceptable motivation for drawing near to Christ is that he has first gone ahead of you and shown you his kindness. It should not be fear. It should not be to win his approval or favor. No, no, no. You've already tasted of his kindness. Therefore, you ought to just desire to spend more time with that one who loves you most. So since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and, and coming to him... As a living, as to a living stone. That's that's a reference to him. Coming to Christ, who is described here as a living stone, which has been rejected by men. Though a living stone, many throughout the centuries have rejected him. But, but, he is choice and precious in the sight of God. So this is interesting here. It appears that God's verdict with reference to his son contradicts the verdict of others with reference to his son. God's verdict with reference to the son is that he is choice and precious. But the opinion of others is that he ought to be rejected. So just as a matter of logic, Don't you think it makes more sense to have the same opinion of God's son as God does (laughs) of his son? Do you realize you're in jeopardy if you have a different opinion of his son than he does? In fact, let me tell you this. How you respond to God's son determines how the son's father will respond to you. Can you buy that? Yeah, uh, let me put it to you this way. If you have a child or a grandchild and someone mistreats your child or grandchild, what does that do to you? You immediately get motivated to go into action, don't you? How much more God the Father? If you mistreat, reject, ignore, or are indifferent to his son, don't you think his father is disturbed? Your eternity, therefore, depends on rendering the right response to the Son of God. How you respond to God's Son determines how God responds to you. Not how virtuous you are, not how good you are, not what promises you make, not what your church affiliation is, no, how you respond to God's son determines how the son's father responds to you and me. You know what he's going to say when we stand before him? In so many words, what have you done with my son? And if you say, I have rejected him, the father says, yeah, but to me, he was choice and precious. I reject you. But if you say, Father, I have revered the son. I have seen him to be, by your grace, exactly who you said he is. He's a living stone. He's choice and precious. He's categorically different. He's no pretender to the throne. He's different than Buddha, Mohammed, Moses, and all the rest. He's the only begotten Son of God. Father, your Son is the way, not a way. The truth, not just an alternative truth. He's the life. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of new life. Father, I've accepted your son as the living stone. Choice and precious in your sight and mine too. And the father says, you have responded rightly to my son. Live with us throughout eternity. You see how it works? Salvation has to do with rendering the right personal response to the son of God. Is he savior? Is he forgiver? Is he your savior? That's the right answer. <laughs> That's the right response to the son. So he's been rejected by men, but God's opinion of him is entirely different. In God's eyes, he's a living stone whose choice and precious. And not only is he a living stone, look, verse 5, you also. Now, I, 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 these are great words. He has the character of being a living stone, but hang on. This is addressed to Christians. You also as living stones. There's a quality of life which you possess, which is the very life in you now of the living stone who is none other than Christ Jesus. The same description of him is accorded to you if you belong to him. That's pretty cool. You're not dead and dying. You're not junk. You're not worthless. You're not a piece of rubbish cast uh, outside the gate on a rubbish pile. He is the living stone. You also, as living stones, are being built up. Now, this is God's building program. He has his own. It doesn't have to do with the physical building in this case. It's a spiritual building. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a, not a physical house, a spiritual house. Can you tell me what another word or synonym is for spiritual house there? What are we talking about? Anyone have any thoughts or maybe? Yeah, Jess? That's the church. The church, this building? No, 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 no. The church, meaning people. (laughs) around the world and in every age who have rendered the right response to the Lord Jesus become part of God's spiritual house. So, so it, if you're one of them, you're a living stone, and what's God doing in you and through you? Well, he's building you up along with the other living stones, members of his church, so as to be a spiritual house for what purpose? A holy priesthood. Now think about this. Peter's writing this, right? What's his ethnic background? Jewish. What kind of a Jew? Bad. Oh, he's not a bad Jew. <laughs> There's no such thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, what, what I. That's a rough question. Tell me about his uh, religious background, Peter. You know anything about him? Orthodox. Orthodox Jew. He wouldn't eat non-kosher food. Remember, he didn't even want to go into Cornelius' house, the Gentile guy, lest he he get cooties. (laughs) That's his background, very traditional Orthodox Jew. He was acquainted with the traditions of his people. He knew of the priesthood in ancient Israel. And the priesthood in ancient Israel were a select group, exclusive You had the general people of Israel. They're called Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. But from the collective came a very special group, descendants of Levi, Levitical priests. They were set apart. You know, they were given their own land and all this other kind of stuff. And what did they do? They represented, they were supposed to, God to man. And they interceded between man and God. They offered sacrifices, did they not? Now Peter is saying, not reference to the exclusive Levitical priesthood, he's saying to all those who've experienced the truth of chapter 1, he's saying to all those, Jew, Gentile, anybody, he's saying to all those who've been born anew, you are being built up into a holy priesthood. That means you now are the ones who are given the privilege of representing God to man. You're now given the privilege of standing in the gap between man who doesn't know God and a holy God. You are a holy priest. So you know what one of the big challenges is in the Christian life? Just live up to who you are. That's rough. Uh, Generally, we're living below our new status in Christ. Generally, we're not living like a holy priesthood. We're living like junk. Mm. We're just still wondering where, how do we stack up? And <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if God has designated me as someone who, like his son, is considered a living stone, part of a wonderful, wonderful movement that goes beyond culture and ethnicity and race and age and all the rest, called the Church of the Living Stone, (laughs) almighty God. And if he says, and I'm working in you to build you all up together into a spiritual house so that you function like a holy priesthood, you know... I just don't want to talk God out of that. I just want to say that is very cool. And I just want to live up to it. The greatest incentive for living like a holy priest is that you is one. <laughs> Cliff? Um, I have a problem sometimes, I think, with, with the way that I hear someone teaching on the radio and it talks about uh, like saving faith. way it talks about it, basically we're told that kind of the evidence of our sonship is basically how we live and we send a glass and we move and we the and then you, you go into this book and then it says stop doing this, that and, the other thing. and you got to coordinate too because you're yeah. doing these other things yeah. saying that you're not that yeah so I don't know how to put all that that's well, a great question, great great question and And Clifford is saying, uh, if you didn't hear, um, it's a great question. Tell me if I got this right. We are saved apart from works. And yet the exhortation sometimes you hear from people, and surely even in this book, is that we ought to behave differently. How How do the two go together? Well, I think it's the whole book of James, if you think about it, where the writer says, Faith, but which is apart from works is in effect a faith that's dead it's not real because real faith reveals the evidence of itself in new behaviors so once again just make sure you get the order right we don't work for salvation because of salvation there ought to be a different lifestyle ephesians 2 you have not say you're saved by faith, not because of works, in order to walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand. so if someone says, "Yeah, I'm a Christian," but you don't see anything on the horizontal level to indicate a lifestyle pleasing to Christ, maybe that faith profession it is dead and they aren't a living stone mm-hmm. at all. So does that kind of. <laughs> well, let me say one more. Okay, like if, okay, being practical about it, for like say, I've been my wife, which I And so. okay. <laughs> then, um, after I have the shit, you can see, look you. after I have the same shit, so you see, look at you. I you can know, see, oh. you. know, different than the other guys. Uh, I got you. Because they do the same thing. Yes. Yes. But then, of course, I don't uh, What do you do after you did that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, but the fact is that you did. Okay. Here's the point. Here's, here's, here's what Clever's saying. There are times, he said, when he offends his wife uh, in knowing you often, I'm sure. And so <laughs> so then then he says he can sense the accusation maybe from others. You know, you're supposed to be different, but you're, you're doing what others what others are doing. But there's a difference. You're bothered by it, and that's the conviction of God's very spirit in your life. You used to do things with impunity, didn't bother you at all. Now you have added to your fleshly nature, and you still got it, Cliff. You're you're just fleshly. I know you. Spend five minutes with that guy, and you'll know it. But added to the fleshly nature is God's nature in you. So, so 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 now you're getting the influence of God's spirit in you. And part of it is you're bothered by the things which never bothered you before. So what we're talking about here is not sinless perfection. Oh, no. We're not there yet. We're talking about patterns of unchecked sinful behavior. Patterns of unchecked, not incidences of sin. That's all of us. Okay, good. I'm not going to ask you if that worked because I don't want you to say anything else. (laughs) Built up for a holy priesthood. Why? Look, look. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. Now this is huge language. Remember Peter's an orthodox Jew. Can you see the old covenant language he's using? He's speaking of priesthood. It used to be just Levites. Now it's all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about spiritual sacrifices. They used to offer up animal sacrifices. Did they not? Bulls and goats and birds and unblemished lambs and stuff like that. We don't do that anymore. Why don't we do that anymore? Has been made yes the ultimate lamb of god offered up himself and then said it is finished and he sat down so we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore so god is calling for spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through christ jesus so i want to ask you can you give us a little bit of a sampling here as a class what are spiritual sacrifices which we, as a holy priesthood, are now called upon to render to Almighty God? Yes, ma'am. <sighs> that is really good. Can you all turn, uh, our sister said, the sacrifice of praise. Can you turn to Hebrews chapter 13 just for a second? Chapter 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. The reason why I say that's such a good answer is it's the one I came up with. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Quite interesting. Through him that's the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 13:15. Through him then let us believers continually, not once in a while, continually offer up a sacrifice And here's just what you said, of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips, the product of our words. In other words, the fruit of lips that do what? Well, that give thanks to his name. So I ask you, why is doing that a sacrifice? Praising God and expressing thanksgiving to him. Can you please tell me why that is sacrificial? On your part or mine. Think about it. Willard? I know it pleases him, but what a sacrifice by definition implies a cost. What's it costing you to praise God? Yes, sir. Time. Time. We'll get to that in just a second. But I love what you said. We give up time. You know what we're doing with most of our time? Thinking. Planning. Holding on. Worrying. Trying to control life's circumstances. Protecting ourselves. Safeguarding. Preparing. Arguing. Criticizing. I don't know what. If you stop using time that way, in order to praise God and thank him, that is a sacrifice of your time. You're right. And then this wonderful lady said, also, it's not our nature. And she is right. Can I tell you what our nature? Well, you know what your nature is. You're self-centered. So am I. Nobody teaches you to be self-centered. That newborn cute little baby is a self-centered little critter From the time he or she is conceived. That is human nature. Praise, by definition, is an other centered activity. Praise means we get our eyes off of self centeredness and focus instead on the holy other who is God Almighty. Praise is a spiritual sacrifice. Can I encourage you to do it more? I shall confess to you, I struggled just like you. And sometimes whole blocks of time in my personal life go by when I realize I haven't taken time to praise or thank God, and I don't know how long. I'm too busy trying to take care of myself. Have you ever praised God by reminding him who he is? That's what praise is. It's to uh, reflect back to God his characteristics or attributes. So I want to challenge you to do something. When you find yourself being unsettled in your mind, and it is affecting your emotions, and that's just about everyone here to one degree or another, See if you can interfere with the downward spiral. See if you can interfere with it a little bit by sacrificing your thought life and that preoccupation and praise God. So for instance, God, it has come to my attention that you're really good. I do not feel good. At present. But that does not minimize the fact that you are by nature good. And God, let me just remind you that though I believe everything you do is really good, I don't get it. There's a bunch of stuff you do that doesn't seem good to me. Now God, I cannot talk you out of being who you are. I'm just telling you who I am. I'm limited. And I cannot understand all of your ways. But I just want to let you know. Your ways are really, really good. And one of the things, God, I want to just remind you about your ways is you don't consult with anyone about them. Because you're good, if you have a plan to do something, it is good. And you can do it without distraction or interference. And the reason why you can do that, God, is because you are, and we call you this, time, this, don't we sometimes, God? We call you the Almighty. That means you possess all might to do all that you choose to do. God, you are not like me at all. I'm very limited. And that makes me even more excited about the fact that I'm connected to you because you're not limited. You're unlimited. And God, by the way, something just occurred to me that I just wanted to share with you. I'm reminded of the fact that you are very, very present. You're unlimited omnipresent otherwise god how could i be talking to you right now in fact god i just want to praise you if you didn't make the way whereby i could feel comfortable talking to you if you didn't send me a mediator namely your own son as a bridge i'd be talking into air right now but i'm not talking into air god it's as if i'm in your throne room with a personal invitation to charge right on in. Because God, you have made the way. Oh, and by the way, God, I'm reminded of the fact that though I can talk to you, I, 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 you know about what's going on with me even before I do. That is very, very cool. Because sometimes, God, I can't form the words. But if you're all-knowing, you know everything about And God, I'm just reminded about Something. Sometimes we say you are our father who art in heaven. I love that because I'm stuck here on earth, God, as you know. And sometimes it's quite a burden to be stuck here on earth. It's quite overwhelming and oppressive. But if you're our father in heaven, you are above it all. You are beyond earth. And therefore, oh, God, I'm talking to the one who has the highest and most clear view of all that which concerns me and god it just occurs to me that you are not only apart this apart from this space called earth you're also outside of time you you're not limited to Past, present, and future. You see the end from the beginning because you are a timeless being. God, this is really cool because I'm like stuck in the present. I don't know what the future holds. Sometimes the future really scares me for crying out loud. But God, I praise you. You have already been to the future and you're getting me there too. I defy you to do that kind of work and not see success in interfering with the downward spiral of depression and anxiety and general unsettledness. It's a sacrifice. We just praised God, do we not? And so, so you see what it is? It's simply reflecting back to God who you have found out he is. That's what praise is. So, so I, I, I tell you, I admit to you, I don't do this enough. I worry more, I think more, I reflect more, I'm guilty more, I'm ashamed more, I'm negative more, I'm moody more. Because no one has to exhort me to do those things. All I have to have is a bad night's sleep. And I'm in a funk. (laughs) Just easy stuff. So praise, I tell you, lifts us to the throne room. It's a sacrifice. That's a spiritual sacrifice. He's not looking for blood sacrifices. The shed blood of the Lord is enough. It's a sacrifice, as our brother said, you have to carve out your time to do this. It's a sacrifice. It's contrary to your nature. Get outside of self. Focus on God and your connection to him for sure, for sure. Now, how often should you praise God? Well, uh, as a rule of thumb, I find it helpful when I'm finding my, whenever I'm finding myself not feeling good. I'm talking about emotionally, then I know that's a good time for me to start praising God. I don't always do that. Please don't. I don't want to give you the impression I got this licked. I don't. I'm a fellow pilgrim. We're all <laughs> we're all traveling down the road. But a good a good uh, time to stop and praise God is when you sense you're starting. You're feeling pretty bad. Stop. Put all of it on hold and just bask in the atmosphere of your prayer. It says, it's the fruit of lips which give thanks to his name. Okay, so that's a good one, don't you think? Um, <clears throat> one other thing, yeah, let's see. I'll make it quick. Another sample, because I want to end where we ended in the last class. Uh, Romans 12.1. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, that's you and me, by the mercies of God. Oh, this is important. Paul's urging for us to do what he's going to tell us to do is by the mercies of God. Peter's urging for us to do what he's going to tell us to do is by the kindness of God. The only proper biblical motivation... For doing anything is the mercy and kindness of God, which you and I have experienced. You don't, if you're doing things because you're afraid of God, you're probably not sufficiently good newsed. You haven't been gospelized. You're still working for his favor. You skipped chapter one and you're living chapter two. You didn't have the chapter one experience first. The only proper biblical motiva- motivation for doing that which is pleasing to God is the experience of his kindness and mercy. So Paul also says, Romans 12.1, I urge you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. The best motivation for sexual purity is the mercy of God which you have already experienced. The best motivation for handling this vessel or your physical body or mine in a way that's pleasing to God is not being afraid of him, but it's realizing how kind and merciful he already has been to you. So we're talking about not only sexual purity, but now I'll close with this and I'll step on toes here just very, very briefly. The care and feeding of the body, the proper care and feeding of the body is not selfish. It's a spiritual sacrifice so as to sustain it as long as it could be, so as to make best use of it to serve others and to glorify God. Sleeping, eating properly and even exercising the body. Now, you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or somebody like that. That may be a little preoccupation with the body. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about taking good care of it. You know how it is when you're not eating well and you're not sleeping well. You're not as available to minister to others, are you? I mean, you're grouchy and irritable. You're moody. You know what I mean? That's the way it is. So it's not selfish to engage in the proper care and feeding. Now, don't be a fanatic, you know? Uh, there isn't necessarily a diet that you I'm not I'm not suggesting I'm just saying you know it may be wise to us to view the proper care and feeding of the body as a spiritual sacrifice so that we could be alert and have energy and be as healthy as we possibly can not as an end in itself so that we can serve and glorify God for as long as as we can. We don't do this to win God's favor. You're fine. Go home, eat a gallon of Bluebell. God still loves you. Everything's cool. It's probably just going to slow you down a tad bit. That's all we're saying here. You don't have to be some fanatic. Nobody's laying a trip on you. I'm just saying praise is a spiritual sacrifice. So is the proper care and feeding of the body. So, there you have it. Meddling. That's what some lady said. Now you've gone beyond preaching to meddling. That's how she put it. So Lord Jesus, thank you for everything you've done. We're motivated <clears throat> specifically because we're safe and secure, enveloped by your loving embrace. We're motivated to offer spiritual sacrifices. You're not exacting a pound of flesh or requiring blood. It's already been done. It is finished. No, you just want us to live in light uh, of the fact that you've already redeemed us. In other words, you want us to live up to our new status in Christ. You, Lord Jesus, living stone. We also, living stones, built together into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up acceptable spiritual sacrifices which please you that's exciting lord jesus thank you for calling us to it help us oh god to have such a hunger for intimacy with you that we pour over your scriptures like never before this we pray in jesus name amen well god bless you folks hope to see you next time